0: Go ahead and be seated. All right. So we'll have showers of blessings today, right? <laughs> My auditorium in San Antonio was maybe a touch bigger than this, and we had no windows. And there were three times in 30 years that the entire electricity went out, and I just would preach, and they'd sit in darkness. And I didn't have an iPad back then, so I had to preach from memory. And they got a good nap, and I got my sermon finished. So we'll see how this goes today. I don't know if you've looked at your radar on your phone. This is going to be going on to about 1:15, according to Weather Channel. So that gives me plenty of time to finish. <laughs> uh, on, on a note, I went and saw the movie Sound of Freedom. Uh, some of the adults in here. It'll, it, it's, a, it's an interesting movie, it's worth seeing. I was involved in that in San Antonio with my women's clinic, and I even had a movie made at my church, similar to Sound of Freedom, and ours didn't take off like that did. A film company did it, but it had a good impact, and the lady that was involved in trafficking, uh, they, they did the worship service where she came to Christ, and it changed her life so dramatically, and she's been rescuing children ever since, and has done some of the most amazing jobs and so going to see this movie though is heartbreaking uh, my wife didn't go because uh, my wife's so tender-hearted she can't do that I guess I'm not but I wanted to know so some of you I might say ought to go see it I know some of you are talking about ministry possibilities there and it would really move your heart in such a way to see what one man was able to accomplish because his passion for children it's one of the, it's a stunning story so I, you to look at that. All right, we're coming to the end of our study on Ephesians. We've been doing this for six months, and so we'll wrap it up, but it's not the end of Ephesians because we're going to go to Revelations chapter two next week and uh, look at Revelations two in relationship to this. And if you don't know what's in Revelations two, ask your staff. <laughs> That's, they know now. Nah. Revelations 2, verses 1 through 7, is the, is the Ephesus church. And I want to go back and look and see, did this work? Paul's letter to the staff. To the staff. <laughs> we had a fun conversation this week. But Paul's letter to Ephesus was a powerhouse. And I've always wondered, what kind of impact did it have? You know, when you read 1 Corinthians all the way through, and you read 2 Corinthians, you wonder... Did it work? This messed up church in Corinth, did it work? We do know. We know that because of, of a pastor in Rome in 90 AD wrote a letter to Corinth and talked about their greatness and what God had accomplished through that. So Jesus speaks to Ephesus years after this, and I want to look at that in light of that. But there's a warning that comes out of that, especially after we've looked at all of this in detail. So I don't want to back up either i just get here in the middle. <laughs> this is getting interesting. I've never done this. I'm watching the congregation part like the Red Sea. <laughs> Somebody needs to call the insurance company. I'm not in charge of that anymore, but you might want to do that. All right, let's get serious now. We've done that part. So what happened in Ephesus to bring Paul to this point? Well, you go to Acts 19 to know that. In Acts 19, he came and he spoke in the synagogue for three months. And he spoke boldly. No lack of courage with this man. He's willing to stand up always and speak the truth of who Christ is. And he did that. And he did that through reasoning and persuading people. He didn't beat them over the head with it. But he sat down with them daily for three months. And he did that. Sometimes when you share the gospel, you get an amazing result. Some of you saw that this week when you were in Honduras. And it will have an impact on you. But sometimes you don't get a good response. And Paul didn't get a good response there at the synagogue. In fact, he had to withdraw because many of the people who listened to him in the synagogue became hardened and disobedient, and they spoke evil of all that Paul was doing. So he went next, almost next door to the school of Tyrannus, and he, he spent two years there, reasoning daily. He taught at that school every day for two years. Now what happened was unbelievable thing began to unfold in this unbelievably pagan city. Scripture says there were extraordinary miracles that took place that God used Paul for and he blessed the people through Paul's presence, but many believed. Many people started coming to Christ because of this one man's impact in Ephesus. and It became such an impact that they began to to, uh, confess and disclose their magic practices. They worshiped the a false god and there was a lot of magical stuff that they would do incantations and other things and so they begin to disclose that and tell that and then they begin to burn their books and you know the story in acts 19 of burning their books but the word of god was so powerful and this is what even hearing all the testimonies today, you know that when you do these mission trips, you come away going, God's word is powerful. It's unbelievable the way it can impact in people's lives. Well, it did that there. And so the word of God prevailed mightily in this city. Now, remember that in this city is one of the seven wonders of the world the Temple of Artemis is here, the Temple of Diana. You can use either one of those. It was an unbelievable structure, one of the most amazing things ever built by man during those days. And so the disturbance that arose was because so many people were coming to Christ that nobody was buying the idols. And so Demetrius began to lead an attack against the church there in Ephesus. And the the crowds came, they turned on the church. The outcry was so great because the people were filled with rage because they were losing money over all of this. Paul had to get up and say a few words. City was filled with confusion. It is shortly after that Paul left. He spent two years there. He doesn't leave on the best of note, but he slips out and goes on. But he came back again. Next chapter, he came back one more time to visit. And he said this, guys, this is the last time you're going to see me. God's not going to let me come back here anymore. And I need to warn you something. Savage wolves will come and they'll not spare the flock. Some of these will come from your own congregation will cause trouble. And I'm just warning you, he says. And he says, they will say perverse things to draw disciples after them. False teachers never draw towards God. They always draw after themselves. And so he says they will do that. So here's my warning, he tells them. I want you to be on alert. And now he writes this letter to give them strength and courage to be able to live their life in a good way. And so last week, as we got to the end of this, remember... I stopped and did it just for a moment. I didn't go into this passage in detail because I wanted to remind us again of what James said. The prayer of a righteous man accomplishes much. What he's been teaching them, he's called them to walk in obedience to. And if they will do this, God will hear their prayers and bless them in a powerful way. You may not know this, but one of the greatest books ever written on the armor of God, it was by William Grinnell. It's called The Christian in Complete Armor. It's a classic. I had to read it when I was in seminary. It's a very thick book. And and John Newton, a great theologian, preacher, and writer of hymns, said if there's only had one other book besides the Bible to read, that's the one I would want to be able to read is The Christian in Complete Armor. This is what William Grinnell said towards the end of his book that you and I can be clothed in God's armor, having the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, our feet shod with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit. And yet we will fail to win because we do not call upon our God. So we get now to this verse 18. It calls us to prayer. Armor of God and prayer hand in hand. Stand with me as we read verses 18 through 20. And today, Paul now teaches us how to pray. With all prayer and petitions, pray at all times in the spirit and with this in view. Be on alert with all perseverance petition for all the saints. Pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known the bold, with boldness the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in proclaiming it I may boldly speak boldly as I ought to speak. Father, be with us now in the midst of this rainstorm as we've stopped here for a moment to look at your word. Teach us what it is to be able to pray and to pray effectively. Watch over us and guide us now as our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. If you remember last week, I, I said every time Paul or any of the, the apostles taught us how to pray, it was always at the end. But being at the end does not mean it's not important i never forget many years ago, it was in uh, December of 1983, my youngest son had just been born on, Jan- on December the 5th. And so we, after Jan was able to travel, it was right, right around the first of the, like December 30th, 31st, we traveled down to see my grandparents. My grandfather was very sick. And I wanted him at least be able to see and meet Jonathan the baby at that moment. So we made the trip to Southeast Texas. And so when we got there, Uh, grandpa was pretty frail that day and so I brought Jonathan in. We sat and talked and he he kinda held the the little boy and stuff. But as I picked up Jonathan to walk out, he said, Come back in just a moment and sit down by the bed. So I took Jonathan, gave him to Jan, went back, sat down with my grandfather. He was seventy-six years of age, very frail at that moment. And so what he did was for the next hour he just poured his heart out on all that he had learned of his walk with the Lord of what he learned in life, and he said, you know, young man, I've not always been a great example to you, but I hope you'll learn from what I'm saying at this moment. Last words can have an impact. These are Paul's really last words to the church. So let's see what he has to say that need to be a part of your life and of my life. So one of the greatest actions that we can take in our walk is with Christ is in prayer. There are a lot of things we need to be doing, but prayer has to be a part of it. And remember the context of the prayer, uh, of this verse about prayer. It's the armor of God. We're told in verse 10, be strong. Be strong in the Lord. It's a command given us. Three times we're told to stand firm. We're told what protection we need to be able to stand firm. And each one of the pieces of the the armor has something to do with the gospel of Jesus Christ. But we're to have all of that. That's critical in you you and I's lives as we live every day. But having the gospel down well is not enough. What do I mean by that? Well, Martin Lloyd-Jones, a great English preacher, said, Paul's telling us that orthodoxy is not enough. You have to be biblically correct because you can't stand firm in the faith in the world. But if you don't pray, you're going to get in trouble. And what he's saying is you cannot win if you go it alone. You and I need, on a daily basis, God's help. Yes, we stand on the amazing truth that Christ is the only answer. Yes, we know the security that that gives each and every one of us in Christ. But we need the presence of God every day within our lives. And we need to be dependent upon him always. My daughter had a tough week this week because her oldest son, home from college, as I said last week, had another incident where a kid who's 19 who doesn't really think much about what the family's thinking and wants to do his own thing, and she is so troubled by all that. And I sat down with him this week and I said, Come on, young man, I know you're home for a couple more weeks, but listen, you need this relationship with your family. You need them always. I know you're sprouting your wings. You're 19. I understand. I did the same thing. But, son, don't underestimate what you got going here. That's really what we're talking about here when it comes to our relationship with God. We get all this greatness and we got freedom now in Christ. In fact, that movie, The Sound of Freedom, I'm not a drummer, but it's, it was a playing of the a, of a drums by a child. That's The Sound of Freedom. Well, we have freedom in Christ. We have amazing freedom in Christ. And so we sprout our wings, look how we can fly now and see what we can do. But you need to know something. It's only by grace that we were given, Then it's only by grace that we are sustained, and it's only by grace we're going to make it through it. And we need to look to the one who made all this possible and be dependent upon him and everything. And that means prayer. He uses two words here, prayer and petition. Prayer is a public prayer. It's a prayer in your closet. It's verbal. It's a prayer of thanksgiving. It can be a prayer of confession. It can be a prayer of praise, a prayer of adoration. But that needs to be a part. Petition is when you ask for something. There's an urgency involved. And you, you're, you've got a request that you need to bring before the Father. In fact, Paul uses that in Philippians 1.9, whenever he says, it will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers, through your petitions. You were concerned about the threat on my life, that I might die, but you prayed for me, and God's going to hear your prayers, and he's going to deliver me. So prayer is just us talking with God in a very simple kind of way, but it's also coming at moments when there are concerns and difficulties, and we're scared or we're frustrated, and we seek him. And we, you know, we have to be well protected by the armor, but we have to be totally dependent upon our God. And you know what that gives you when you do that? The ability to keep going. The ability to keep going. Jesus said that in a parable. He said in the parable, he says, it shows that at all times you ought to pray and never lose heart. One of the dangers all of us have, and it's a danger at Ephesus, that they lost their first love. We'll see that next week. They lost their first love. They lost their passion. What Paul's telling me here at the end Passion drives you to the Father always. Thankfulness for what he's done. Prayer is what keeps us from giving up in life, from what's losing in heart. Prayer is taking truth and putting it its actions. Trusting God and waiting upon him. You know, Galatians says, let us not lose heart in doing good. In due time, we will reap if we don't give up. We'll see some of the greatest things when we seek our God in prayer. Second thing is prayers that characterize all aspects of our lives. So he says this, pray at all times. Literally means pray at all seasons. Paul told the church at Thessalonica, pray without ceasing. He told the church at Colossae this. He said, I give thanks to God, our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm praying always for all of you at Colossae. Believers are to pray continually because their struggle with the power of darkness is never ending. We live in a very dark and evil world. Seeing the movie uh, Sounds of Freedom, just that's what broke my heart is seeing how evil evil really is sometimes. I've ex- seen it, I've experienced it a little, but to see it in such a clear fashion on a screen, the evilness of man's heart destroying the lives of children was just stunning. We live in that kind of world. And God does not rescue us out of the world. He won't do that till he comes in all of his glory, but he gets us through it. And we have to have him. And so we have to pray at all times. And it's critical that we not only pray all the time, but there are special moments you ought to pray. So he's saying this, you pray in all seasons of life. But that word also means there are opportune times, right times. Did not Jesus do this? When he had a major decision, you ever notice in the gospel that when he had a major decision, he could spend the night in prayer? When he's going to pick the disciples, he spends the night in prayer. I've been to the Garden of Gethsemane. I've stood there, wrapped right where it is, the night before he does the most major work. He's in prayer all night with the Father. Prayer always was critical in his life. And if he had needed to pray, you and I have to make that a part of our lives. So there are opportune moments. And when he's on the cross, he's praying. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Prayer was a critical part. So what we're to do is we're to pray. We're to pray at all times in our lives. In fact, David, Psalms 3, next time you read it, it's called a morning prayer. It's a morning prayer. It's a good thing to do on a seasonal basis as you get up in the morning. But it is also when David was fleeing from Absalom that he pours out his heart to God for protection. And of the evil that was surrounding him. So my question to you today is what role does prayer play in your daily life? I mean, we talk about it all the time. But how important is it to you? There should be times of prayer. Maybe yours is morning, maybe yours is evening, maybe yours is afternoon. I don't know. We all have different schedules which we run. But does prayer play a critical moment in your those critical moments? Are you on your knees in prayer? Are there moments that you demonstrate your faith is real because you're trusting God to get you through it? You know, danger is so real that we need to constantly go to the one who gives us salvation. And in reality, to me, you know what prayer is? It's a quiet trust in the Lord. It's just a quiet trust in our God, trusting his wisdom, his protection, his presence, and just going to him and asking for the kind of help that we need. Notice the third thing now is real prayer is always done in the spirit. There are several passages that tell us to pray in the spirit. I love Romans 8. In the same way the spirit helps our weakness, we don't know how to pray as we ought, but the spirit himself intercedes on our Behalf with groanings that are too deep for words. What has amazed me is even when you and I don't have the idea what next to pray, the Spirit of God through you is praying what needs to be done. That's one of the greatness of what God has given us. Paul told the church at Corinth, I pray with spirit and I pray with mind. So it's the presence of God, it's with the knowledge that he's given us that we lift our voice. He's already said to the church at Ephesus, we have one access in one spirit to our Father. I think what Martin Lloyd-Jones says is that it's difficult to put it in words, but when we pray in the Spirit, we know it's happening. I guarantee some of you on mission trip this week knew when the presence of God was working at that moment. It might be hard for you to give a description of how that was really happening, but you knew the presence of God was there. So praying in the Spirit, what is it not? So what are the warnings? If I'm going to pray in the Spirit, what needs not be there? Well, one is hypocritical spirit. What do I mean by that? Well, Jesus says, when you pray, you're not to be like hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogue, street corners, so they would be seen by men. Guys, the other day, in fact, it was last night, I had a dinner at Sweetie Pies. I'd never been there before, and so I went to eat one of their ribeyes with some friends. And so we're sitting in there, and the guy I'm sitting next to is the voice of the TCU Horn Frogs at the football game. He, he tried to be uh, Tex, the guy at the, at the state fair, came in second, got an amazing voice. And so we got to talk. and I was asking him, what have you got to do? And he's done all kinds of amazing football games. He's done AT&T Center, the voice at AT&T Center for the Cowboys. And I said, what makes a great announcer? He said, well, you got to have the voice, and he's got the voice. I don't. He does, and he has it. But he said this, to be a great announcer... In these huge stadiums, you've got to be totally anonymous. Nobody needs to know it's you. Nobody should say a word about you after the event is over. If they're talking about you, then you failed miserably at your job and you took away from what was going on at the moment. I was sitting there as everybody else got to talking and I was thinking about this part of my sermon. This is what prayer is about. It's not something you do, so everybody in the church goes, gosh. Man, they love the Lord. Look how spiritual they are. I ought to be like them. No, you just quietly go about it. You're not doing this to be seen. You know, when, when I met Jan years ago, it was love at first sight. Took her a couple times, but eventually she came around. We'd sit and talk quietly. Those conversations were between just us. They weren't for anybody else to sit in and listen to as we were getting to know each other and sharing our hearts and everything else with each other. There's just some things you don't broadcast out to the whole world of what's going on. Relationships are special. And so if I'm sitting there praying to the Father and I'm lifting up my hands and praying to Him and I'm looking over to see if you're noticing, what does that say to Him? What would it be if I'm talking to my wife and said, you know how much I love you, and looking around to see if everybody's watching She's going to know immediately I'm not being truthful with her. So watch how you pray. You're not doing this to be seen. In fact, the more anonymous you are in your prayers, maybe the greater impact it has. Second of all, it is not vain repetition. Jesus said that when you're praying, do not use meaningless repetition. Don't just keep saying the same words over and over and over again. Let's do it this way. If you're, one of your kids comes home from college and he walks in and he says, Dad, I need money. Dad, I need money. Dad, I need money. Dad, I need money. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go down and walk outside. He's not getting a cent. I don't need to be told that over and over again. You don't have to say these little trite phrases to God over and over and over again. We did it as kids. I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep great prayer for a child. Great prayer to comfort him as he gets ready to go to sleep. But when you're seriously talking with God, he doesn't want You don't do that with anybody. You don't do that with your spouse. You don't do that with your kids. Say the same thing over and over and over again. So watch vain repetition because a lot of people, they think that's what it is. That you say the same things over and over again. No. You know what it is? It's a quiet conversation between you and God. No fancy words need to be involved in it. You know, when I talk to Jen, I don't talk in King James English or Shakespearean type of language to her. She would slap me silly for doing that. We just talk Texas. Good old Texan. She's got the Texas accent, and so we just talk that way. That's who we are. We don't make some special moment so it feels like there's something emotional about it at all. Know this, too. You can have correct words and phrases, but they can be nothing but empty words. When you do ask Speak from your heart because you trust him and you love him and you're grateful for everything that he's done for you. And then watch selfish praying. I said a couple weeks ago, it's got the point. I don't ask for much anymore. I think it has to do with age more than anything else. There's really not anything I need anymore. I pretty much have what I need at this point. My prayers are more for my kids, my grandkids, some people that I know that I've encountered. Some of you guys have shared some things and I've Tried to pray for you as best I know how. It's, it's for God to work in your life in a special way. See, I think praying in the Spirit means this I truly look to the Lord for help. I'm not taking notice of anything else. I'm not doing it to be seen by anyone. I ask simply and straightforward in my prayers and my petitions. I pray for God's glory and not my own. I pray humbly and graciously and thankfully, and I have sincerity in my words, and I truly do care about those I'm around. That's what God's called in us to do. So when Paul in verse 18 says, with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit, that's what he's talking about, that we do that. I love Luke 18. In Luke 18, the tax collector. So say this is the temple. One of the Pharisees is standing there praying this way so everybody can see him. And he's praying in such a way, Thank you, God, for all you've done for me. Thank you, I'm not like all these sorry people. And he lists them. And then he turns around and over in the corner, there's a man just standing there quietly doing this. I'm glad I'm not him. I have a feeling that Pharisee would change that prayer today, now knowing what he knows after he died. but over the corner was a man who just said, "God be merciful to me. God be merciful to me." He wasn't doing it for show. he was doing it out of the brokenness of his heart. He was seeking God, and he was asking for help. That's what prayer is. And when you and I do that, so we need to check our motives. We don't do it to be seen and we don't do it to be heard by others. We do it because we love our Father in heaven and we want him to help us. And then lastly, and I think this is where it fits for the whole church. True prayer is concerned for all the people of God. Verse 18, with all prayer and petitions, pray at all times in the spirit. With this in view, be on alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. Paul calls the people of God holy ones in this particular passage. And it's important to remember ourselves in terms of the church. We are the body of Christ. Everyone in this room is important in the body of Christ. Everyone in this room is needed as a part of the body of Christ. Like what they said a moment ago, the children are already active within the fellowship of Ridgecrest. That's part of the entire body of Christ, those who are in Christ Jesus. And it's simply, it is foolish not to pray for each other. It is foolish not to be praying for all of you here as needs come up, lifting each other up in prayer. We need to pray that every man stands his position. Every man stays faithful in the midst of all that is going on. Scripture says, Do nothing from selfishness or empathy conceit, but consider others more important than yourself. Philippians 2 3. Philippians 2 5 says, this is the mind of Christ, having you the mind of Christ. He considered you more important than himself. And as he goes across, John 17 is a prayer for his disciples and for all of us. That Before we had even come to this earth, he was praying for us. You and I are to pray for each other. How do we pray for each other? Well, verse 18 says, be alert, be awake. In fact, we're told before the coming of Christ, we're to keep alert at all times. But prayer, you're to be alert. How do you do that? Listen, Pay attention. As you walk the hallways, you know, I pastored for many years, 45. And on Sunday, you've you've seen me around here. I'm I'm walking the hallways. I'm at the door sometimes. I wait out here, shake as many hands as I can. I've always done that. I did that at Village at the end of the service. I stood outside by the door, and everybody came by, and I visited with everybody as they would leave church. It's just who I've been. But you know one thing I learned doing that? I listened to conversations of people passing by. And as I would hear that, I would hear of a struggle or a problem or a difficulty. And so I now know how to pray. But if I'm not worried about anybody and all I'm doing there is just go find my best friend, shake their hand then head out to lunch, I'm not alert. I'm not paying attention to what's really going on. And sometimes people within our midst are hurting so bad and they're walking by us and nobody hears a word. We're to be alert. We're to pay attention to that and then be steadfast as we pray for each other. And that word is just devotion. Paul uses it in in Colossians. Be devoted to prayer. That's what verse 18, when it says there uh, with, uh, with all perseverance. That word steadfastness, perseverance, just simply means this. Be devoted. Keep doing it. Stay with it. Knowing that God, because we keep coming to him, according to Jesus, will one day bless those prayers. And praying for all the saints means not just the ones you like. Not just your family. Pray for your enemies. Pray for everybody. Be careful about something in the church. Be careful of favoritism. James is very specific whenever he writes in James 2 about favoritism. He says, my brethren, do not hold your faith in our glorious Lord with an attitude of personal favoritism. I like this person. I don't like this person. This person, you come sit with me. This person, we have a seat up in the balcony in the corner. No. All people are important. One of the dangers a pastor has to face is, is you have, and I did. I was very privileged at the church I was at to have some very, very important type of people, quote we call important, politically, militarily, and stuff like that. And I know pastors, sometimes we gravitate towards that. And it's fascinating when you get to be around some of those people. But I also had over there... A lady who still to this day emails me four times a week. Her life is broken. She can't talk to anybody in her family. And she still talks to me after I've been gone for two years. And she said the other day, Pastor, thank you. You're listening. Thank you. You know why I know she does that? It's because I would walk up to her quietly. And I, I'm not going to say her name. I almost did. But I'd simply look at her and says, are you okay? Are you okay? No, I'm not. She has struggled like you can't imagine. And I can't fully understand all she's gone through because she's had an unbelievably horrible life. And she told me the other day, I just want to go. I'm, I'm ready to go home. And I'd write her back, You're not ready to go home. You're, you're still, she's in her 50s. You're not ready to go home. I know it's tough, but hang in there. That's what you and I are to do. We're to be paying attention to all of us around. We need all of us to get through life well together. We're all going to celebrate in heaven together. We all want to be on the road there, and we need that. And so when I spend time in prayer, I don't pray for just the ones I like. i got to pray for everybody. Not easy to do. It adds an extra load to that. But if, literally, you're not going to sit down and go, okay, let's see, on row two, I'm going to pray for these five, and then 10 minutes later, row three. No. But as you're aware that someone over here is hurting, you heard that, pray for them. And you heard over here that somebody's struggling, you pray for them. You say, well, I don't know them that well. It's okay. Pray for them. We pray for all people. There is a fourfold all in this verse. Have you noticed that in verse 18? All prayers, all times, all perseverance and petition, all the saints. That is what prayer is about. So we focus on what's really going on in life. We keep our eyes fixed on the Lord Jesus Christ. We speak to him in the language. We speak to each other and we ask for his help and his guidance and we trust him to take care of us. Prayer is not rocket science. If it was, we'd all not make it. Now, some of you may be rocket scientists out there. I never know, but it's just simple. My grandmother with a third education, third grade education, could seek God in prayer and was amazing at it. I've known guys with PhDs that are amazing at prayer, but what I've always found amazing, no matter if you got a third grade education or you got a PhD in in theology. If your heart's right with God and you ask him, he will bless that. And that's what Paul's calling his church at the end to this. Listen, guys, you're in a tough world of living in Ephesus. It's kind of like some of the stuff we encountered today. They were in a very dark culture. They've come to Christ. They love it. They walked away from the old life. They're coming to the new life. And he's been telling them, you're the most blessed people in all the world. You've been blessed with every spiritual blessing and nobody can take that away from you. And as you reflect upon it, I'm praying that God will help you to see and understand what's happened to you and you'll fully grasp that. And then you just remember where you came from. You were dead in your trespasses and sin. You were influenced by the world. You are influenced by Satan. You are influenced by your own lust of the flesh and the lust of the mind. But God reached down and he made you alive. He raised you up and he seated you in the heavenlies. By grace, you've been saved. Why? So you now walk in the works that he prepared beforehand that you should do. Because he's doing this work, he's bringing Jews and Gentiles into one nation, one building, the temple of God. And when he comes in all this his glory, he's going to reside right in the midst of all of you. I, Paul, get to preach this. I'm one of the most privileged men in the world that in the midst of my suffering and in prison, I get to tell people this amazing truth. And I pray and you understand the height, the depth, the breadth, and the love of Christ. Now let's walk together in unity. Oneness of faith, oneness of baptism, one Lord. Let's walk in that. God's given teachers so that it will help us all get through this. And we put off the old life. We put on the new life. We now walk in the ethics that he's called us to do. No anger, good words, care, love, truth. Live that way. Treat our families the best we possibly can. And we clothe ourselves in this unbelievable work of Christ. And we pray. That's what Christianity is in a a nutshell. People who've been given the greatest gift in all the world, the gift of faith in Christ Jesus, who have such a love for him that we walk with him no matter what takes place in life. And along the way, you and I are salt and light. Those in Honduras, you are salt and light this week to a very dark place. I've been in Costa Rica 17 times. I've been in Cuba ten times. I sent teams to Honduras about 17 to 18 times. I, I know what those worlds are about, and you were salt and you were light. But may we do that all the time. May we be that for our God and may He be glorified as that little girl in that video just a minute ago was doing. Blind, giving glory to the Father in heaven. You seek him in prayer. Prayer is important. It's part of using the armor and trusting God. Join with me as we pray. Father, I thank you for the day and for the privilege and honor you give us to be able to study your word. And I thank you that you allow us to come into your presence. That you give us the privilege to be able to say, Abba, Father. That we can have such an intimate relationship with you. That we can literally come, seek mercy in times of need. And you hear us. Father, all of us here in this room will struggle in our walk with you. And our devotion is not always as strong as it ought to be. But Father, help us to sense again this day how much you have loved us, how much you have given us, how much grace you've shown us. And may it move our hearts so that when we walk this week, we walk in a manner that will demonstrate that we truly trust in you and we bring you honor and glory and that we seek you on a daily basis as we pray for others. And as we pray for you to be glorified is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.